You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, Live Different Podcast listeners. If you have been part of our community for the first 15 episodes, you will know that we are always sponsored by our travel company, Under 30 Experiences, that goes all over the world, bringing awesome young people together. So we are actually on an epic road trip right now, which you can get involved with, under30experiences.com slash blog. Started out in Chicago to Kansas City, through Denver and Boulder, over the Teton Pass, up to Seattle, down to Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, to Vegas, the Grand Canyon. Let me think. My memory's getting a little bit fuzzy. My geography. Oh, here to Austin, where I'm standing right now by September 13th. Houston, New Orleans, Nashville, and back to Chicago by September 21st. Our last podcast guest, Rajiv Martin, and his co-founder of Idea Lemon, Martin McGovern, are going around the country talking to young people about their side projects that they are passionate about and helping people get noticed. So if you want to get involved, come check us out, under30experiences.com. We are coming to a city near you. Hello, everybody. Today on the Live Different podcast, we have Melody Husseini, and she is the founder of Inspire Engage International and a person who I've been going back and forth with for a while on social media. She was one of the finalists on BBC's Apprentice and also just won a very prestigious award, which technically names you most influential women in Europe. Is that right, Melody? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's an award that celebrates achievements of those with migrant backgrounds. But yes, I, I received an award for most influential woman in Europe. That is, uh, is that is <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Well, well, congratulations. Thank you so much. No, and you have a really unique story. Uh, you're from Iran, and you now live in London. And your your message is to. Uh, create this social enterprise revolution and inspiring all these people, uh, particularly uh, women. I just watched your your TEDx talk and um, love if you could share your story a little bit, just as to where you came from uh, from the from the very beginning. Thank you so much, Matt. And, and let me just say as well, it's so lovely to to have this podcast and to speak to all of your, uh, you know, the people out there and, and, you know, really good to be connected as well. Really uh, like the work that you guys are doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my kind of story in a nutshell, you know, I have had nothing handed to me on a plate. It's been, um, you know, a real journey. Um, you know, I was born um, during the Gulf War in Iran and we were war refugees. You know, um, we actually fled. Uh, in search of a better life. And I grew up in Sweden, um, had a great upbringing there. Then I moved to the UK when I was 13 years old. So um, it's been a mix of racist encounters to bullying at school to, you know, not being able to speak English and um, and yet being able to co-found a democratic youth organization when I was 13 years old. And you could say that, you know, those were a lot of disadvantages that I faced. But I just think disadvantage is just one of those labels, isn't it? That if you like say to somebody, you know, oh, you're, you're you know, you're, you fall into that category of being a disadvantage 
disadvantaged. It's just, um, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? So I just kind of refused to believe that label and went on to really think about what it is that I wanted to contribute to the world regardless of that. No, that's, that's really interesting that you say that. And I like particularly how you said uh, that you don't like to be labeled as disadvantaged or you never let that hold you back because a lot of people, when they think that they're victims, they fall into this very disempowering mentality where they, they literally are giving up power and saying, well, this, this group uh, is, you know, is doing something bad to me. Well, it's this person's choice. You made a conscious choice to now, it, it certainly seems like you're using your unique background to be able to, uh, you're using this as your advantage, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. It just kind of, I think life is about experiences. And, you know, and people ask me, like, what is it that, you know, what is the key to kind of success? What's the key to overcoming barriers and all of this? And to be honest, there's no exact answer. You all know this, you know, there's no exact kind of perfect, you know, uh, equation that people follow and bam, they're successful or bam, they're happy or whatever, because people are different and they have to find their own path. But one of the things that I say to people is that you need to be slightly delusional. I think delusion is not a negative thing as such, you know, when you're, when you're on your journey, because if you believe everything that the world tells you, if you believe all these things that, you know, I was a female, um, feminine woman in business. I couldn't speak, in, you know, English is my third language. I came to this country, you know, I went through a lot of difficult things. You know, you could say that, well, actually, if I believed all of the things that people told me I couldn't do, um, I probably wouldn't be able to do anything, you know? So I think that actually you need to be a little bit delusional um, to be able to really progress. I mean, I put myself forward for opportunities and put my, put, you know, I showed up to things that, you know, you could say professionally were kind of um, really um, out there and quite advanced. But, you know, I showed up, I, I put in and you get out, you know, and, and all about being socially conscious as well, which we'll come on to later. So I think you do need a little bit of delusion. You know, I was so funny because you know a few years ago and this isn't a story I I tell everyone really but here I am you know broadcasting it live on on uh, you know across the world but you know a few years ago um there was a conference taking place in Kuwait right in 2007 I did training with Al Gore the inconvenient truth training at Cambridge and um so I got a call from this conference happening in Kuwait which was bring together scientists from across the world, right, to discuss climate change issues and environmental issues. I get a call to say that the guy who advises the government on biodiversity cannot make it to represent Britain, and will I go in his place? For a second, I had to kind of Google biodiversity. <laughs> Hold on a minute. What, what, is bio, what is it exactly? Let me... So I quickly looked it up. I was like, okay, it, it is what I kind of thought it was great. And I say, I'm there. I'll do it. I'll do it. And it's not just a presentation to anyone. It's to scientists, okay? So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. My heart is beating. I'm like, I'll do it. Fine. I put the phone down. I'm like, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll have a plan. I'll contact the guy who couldn't go to the conference, and I will get a little bit of information from him. I'll understand, you know, what it is that he was going to present and be able to get my head around it and do it justice. And, you know, and he felt very good about that because obviously he was very sorry that he couldn't attend and had to cancel. So I get on the phone with him. This guy is very, very sorry 
smart, right? He tells me all about, you know, he even sends me a copy of his slides. He explains it all to me. By the end of the conversation, I was thinking, I cannot understand any of this. Like I didn't, and I thought the first rule of, because I'm a professional speaker, so I thought the first golden rule is never present anything that you don't fully understand yourself and you don't feel passionately about. So there was no way I was going to present something that I didn't understand fully myself. So his presentation was totally out of my window. So I thought, okay, what should I do now? I thought, should I cancel? Absolutely not. I should not cancel. So I thought, well, at university, all the time we write papers, in-depth papers on subjects that on day one we didn't understand, right? It takes research. It takes to fully understand something, to look around, talk to people. So I did. To cut a long story short, I devised this presentation. So off I go to Kuwait, to this very, you know, high-level conference attended by the royal family of the Kuwait um, and the world science and here I am presenting biodiversity representing Great Britain, right? And as a young female, this was years ago, because I'm a young female on stage, and a, you know, and the, full of men. By the end of the presentation, everybody claps, it's finished, and they say questions. I'm like thinking, oh God, please don't ask me very in-depth, like scientific questions. And this scientist puts his hand up, and while the mic is going to him, I think I was just praying, like, please ask. Anyway, he puts his hand up, he stands up, and he gets the mic, and he says, out of all the presentations I've heard over the last two days, yours is the best. I was like, wow, this is just crazy. So my point is, you know, if I didn't have a level of delusion, you know, I think you could just say no. Like, what do I know? I don't even know what it is. It's so automatically we say no. But to become an expert in your field and to really engage with a topic and to really learn, you have to seek knowledge. You have to um, put pressure on yourself to understand. You have to put pressure on yourself to perform and to seek and to grow. And that's something that you inherently have to adopt as a mindset, which is something that I've learned along the way, you know? No, I can, I can totally imagine. I'm trying to think right now, when would it have been in uh, somewhere along your path, you decided to kind of use this delusion as a strategy for yourself. But I bet there was some time along there when you were a, a war refugee and you were trying to learn uh, Swedish, I, I guess you would have probably had to learn, or you said you had to learn English um, to, to grow up in, in Sweden. Maybe you went to an international school, but was there some point where you just thought, okay, I can't do this, or this is crazy, I've been stripped from everything that I know, then, then you said, you know what, I need to come up with a strategy of having a little bit of delusion for myself so that I think that I can do remarkable things and, and get over these barriers. Was there a point like yeah. that in your life? You know, Matt, I think that some qualities are inherent and it doesn't mean you were necessarily born with them, but something in your very early years um, kind of caused it to be very inherent within you, in your blood. It's almost automatic, like you don't consider it. The delusion side of it and my quest for a mission, a social mission, is one of those inherent qualities I think, that have come about very, very early. Um, in fact, I wouldn't even know that I was doing 
that until the last few years when I've been reflecting on my journey to support other people to kind of think about theirs. So those qualities were very inherent that I kind of it automatically happened. I mean, I have so many stories of like, like in our school, you know, we, you know, they said every year we select one person to go and work in the houses of parliament, like the local MP chooses someone. My school hadn't got selected for 11 years. They put me forward. They told me that don't get your hopes up. You know, the MP that you're going to go and see the member of parliament, he's quite uh, right wing. He's quite, and you know, has some racist tendencies. He, uh, you know, isn't a pro kind of women type person so don't get your hopes up melody whatever I went in there I sat down I spoke to him I asked him questions you know I turned it on him and he you know the first question he asked me is where do you come from where are your parents from what do you do you know very kind of put me on the spot in a very uncomfortable way but I you know I turned it around on him I said well actually you know this very varied experience gives me such a such an incredible point of view of the world that I'm better able to understand communities I'm better able to you know engage with people it's actually a really big strength you know I feel that you know and all of these reasons and he sat back and he said Melody in 40 years of politics I've never met anyone like you and he ended up selecting me and my school just could not believe it and I think that you know it's these things that are you know you'll find that a lot of people you know they have in these inherent qualities but I think your question is 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 kind of interesting in the way that some of those other qualities that develop because as you say you draw up a strategy you know and you think and you think what should I do now and I think that for me, you know, I'm very purpose-led. For me, it's about what do we need to do? What do we need to do as a society? What do we need to do as a world? What is it important for us to do? And if I thought very strategically, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I could earn a lot more money. I could be, a, you know, do a lot more different things if I went and, I don't know, did, did some kind of corporate uh, kind of career or whatever. But I'm very led by purpose. And I think that that's something that's kind of an inherent quality, you know? No, I can I can totally imagine, and it's uh, it's cool to hear that for whatever it was, you know, it's it sounds a lot like the immigrant entrepreneur story, where people just have to get by through their survival instinct, and they just have to do what they the things that they need to do to to not only survive but then create a, a new life for their their families and. Uh, be you know i i can only imagine being a, a war refugee and, and having that experience you're just going to have to do those things and not even look at you know maybe you don't have time to really look at uh, how scary things are or how, think of yourself as disadvantaged and and you just present yourself in the best possible way and and use all of the tools that that come to you is is that right but I do think, yeah, that is absolutely right, you know, but I do think also that, you know, sometimes it's as simple as this, guys. You just show up to things. Like, say yes and show up. Like, that's it. You know, from a very young, you know, a mistake that a lot of people make is that they think that their career starts when they finish education, you know, when they're 18 or when they're 21 or whatever, and bam, you know, their career starts. And that's, you know, a huge mistake. You know, career starts when you're developing your character, when you say yes to things and you go and have experiences, when you meet people, when you grow as a person, that's all part of the fabric of your life, your career, you know, what becomes your choices. And I think that, you know, it's that. So, you know, 
when I was 13 years old and I moved to the UK, I'd lived in four different countries. I spoke five different languages. I'd, I'd you know, I, I embarked on a, on a kind of a journey of, of social mission, which I was so passionate and interested and fascinated by. And I, you know, we had a meeting in at Tony Blair's office when he was prime minister asking him, you know, why is the UK going to war with Iraq? And I remember there was a, you know, in the, in the mirror newspaper, which is one of the uh, main newspapers here in the UK, you know, there was a big, um, uh, kind of a, a full page feature saying Tony Blair should listen to Melody. You know, Melody is the future of British politics and all this, you know, it's just crazy stuff. Like before I was, this was when I was 17 years old. And, you know, and I think that, you know, a lot of things is just, you know, be led by a passion of, of, you know, doing good, you know, and I think that, you know, saying yes to things, showing up to things and giving your time to things, you know, even before you're ready to earn money, you know, what did you do voluntarily? What did you put your time into? You know, what kind of conversations did you engage with? Where did you go? Who did you talk to? And I think these are the things that, that, you know, really enrich the fabric of what becomes you, you know, and I think that that's such an important thing for our young people to engage with. It's really interesting, and and obviously you have a, a phenomenally diverse background. And part of you know, to me, part of travel and meeting new people and and having this podcast is being able to really try to figure out what life is like for other people because we all live in our little bubbles wherever it is, and unless we get out of them, unless we actively seek knowledge like you're talking about, you just have the same perspective about life. So I'd love to ask you just what life was like uh, in Iran or, or just uh, how having, you know, a war-torn country uh, affected you or if, because I, I don't think people have the opportunity to speak to people very often from your part of the world, if you don't mind uh, kind of talking about that a little bit. I mean, obviously, I mean, when I moved from Iran, I was only two years old. So, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I've been back since, but it's not something I remember. I mean, my mom has told me stories of her and, you know, I, it was me, my brother. And, you know, we were both under two years. I was like two and a half and my brother was like, you know, a year younger than me. And, you know, and going by land and, you know, and getting to a border and, you know, and, and the police stopping us because we had fake passports, obviously, because that's how you flee. And, um, you know, and them asking us questions and, you know, and getting really close to being deported and back and all of this, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's a real, um, real life thing that, you know, I mean, we had a very good life in Iran. I come from a really great family. We had a very good life. Uh, you know, people don't flee out of a, a, a choice to get up and leave your loved ones and your life to go and suddenly, you know, come to Europe or whatever, you know, like that, that's a mystery conception people have of immigration and, and about particularly asylum seekers you know you you flee out of a danger that you're in in your own country and in our case I mean our neighbor's house was actually bombed you know a bomb dropped on our street this is a very real life thing so you know I come with that in my blood almost you know a, a need to look at the world and ask questions and to improve the world not not accept status quo things don't have to be the way that people tell us they have to be there is room 
room for change. There's room for, you know, campaigns. There's room for passion. There's room for people standing up and saying, like, not what they're told, but saying what they feel and what's right. So I think that that, you know, with that, and I kind of was always very conscious of my counterparts, you know, my cousins in Iran. And, you know, in fact that, you know, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, Iran is, is um, you know, 98% literacy rates, you know, one of the highest in the world. It's, you know, it was where civilization, you know, began, you know, we founded a lot of really important things in the world. It's where human rights first was written, you know. However, you know, obviously, there's a lot of uh, complexities now. But I'm very conscious and very, very grateful for the opportunities that I've been given. And I think that your point is valid. And, you know, you've understood that in me. And that's about making the most of opportunities, but also being part of a solution. It's not just about arriving somewhere and being grateful and then, you know, being appreciative, but it's also about what can I do to give back? That is, that is fascinating. And, and out of all of those things, all I can think to ask is how did you, your family drove through it to, to <laughs> Turkey? Is that right? This is all that I could think to ask right. is that's, that's what's fascinating to me at this yeah, moment. And I, I, mean, I guess it's the traveler in me. Yeah, yeah. What is the route for a refugee from Iran? How, yeah, how does one drive from Iran <laughs> to Sweden? Because it seems like you'd have to cross a lot of borders with a fake passport. Right. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it, yeah, you do go to Turkey, and then you're taken by a very complex route to Germany, and then you you cross the border in Germany, you go via mountains um, to what um, uh, in the end will bring you to Sweden, you know? Um, and it's really crazy, actually. And this is another thing I don't share everywhere, but uh, I'm about to with you, Matt. What, what are you doing to me? Dragging everything out of me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you Melody. Know, but it's really you, you just have such an interesting story that I want to hear the details. No, I, mean, I appreciate it. I mean, we, we got to the border in Sweden and then... You know, we were stopped. And the thing is, um, the calendar in Iranian passports, you know, so the calendar in Iran, the dates are different to the calendar in the European uh, like calendar. And um, obviously, the, it was a fake passport. So we, we didn't look fully like our pictures and whatever. And we were stopped by the Swedish police. And they called an interpreter. Although my mom is very uh, educated, she actually did a degree in England, she's very uh, educated and so forth. But they actually stop you and they ask you, you know, is the date correct? Does it match? And so forth. And, um, you know, uh, the interpreter actually felt sorry for us, have felt sympathy. And he actually lied to the police, which is why we weren't stopped and sent back. So, wow. you know, it's an incredible kind of thing when you think of how different, how a moment, you know, just a moment and decision a stranger makes could have changed your life. You know, it did change our life. It, it did, you know. So it's, it's all these moments that add up and, and really, and this is what I mean by it becomes inherent. It, it, you don't make a choice. You make, you, you have a purpose that's black and white almost. And you live for that and you breathe for that. And you, you know, your mind becomes very aware and conscious of social issues and you ask questions. And, and that's really, you know, what, what leads me to doing what I do today. That is, that's really amazing. And, uh, that is a heck of a heck of a road trip. I will, <laughs> I will say that Melody and I'm, I'm, uh, I wouldn't recommend it Matt on your journeys. No, in no, there will be no under 30 experiences road tripping <laughs> from Iran to, to Sweden. I will, I will tell you that. Um, but I, I do want to ask you, you mentioned racism a, a couple times and I know you do 
a lot of work uh, back with Inspire Engage International in the Middle East and that there have been in the past uh, when you were on The Apprentice misconceptions about your religion and just you come from such a unique, again, such a unique background that is often misunderstood by quote unquote Westerners. Um, I, I'd love if you could just talk a little bit more about um, just to kind of clear misconceptions about people from part of your part of the world or, or just, you know, sexism in general, just being a woman. And, and then with this background on the, maybe on some of the types of things that you've, you've had to face or how, uh, I, I just think it's important that more people hear from someone like you and hear your unique perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those funny subjects, really. And you've done your research, I can tell. I mean, it's one of those funny subjects that I, I'm, I'm very interested in culture. I'm very interested, actually, in religion and how this weaves into creating the kind of communities we live in. That I'm very fascinated by that. But I believe in people um, living uh, how they want to live and making choices. And that's their relationship with their God when it comes to religion, for example. Race is a funny thing and, uh, you know, and sexism is a, these are three very different issues. I mean, when it comes to um, the religion side of things, and yeah, you know, there have been a lot of uh, misunderstanding. It's it's simply because my surname is Hosseini and so people assume I'm Muslim. I'm actually Zoroastrian. Zoroastrianism is one of the oldest religions of time. It's the four elements of earth, fire, wind, air. And it's just, uh, it's, the thing is simple. It's just think good thoughts, do good deeds, and and you know, and say good words, and and that's it. You know, that's kind of the heart of it, and that, and I believe in that. And you know, with racism and things, I mean, I grew up in Sweden and lived, went to a school where I was the only kind of ethnic minority, and so you know, that obviously came with people asking me very strange questions and sometimes feeling very much like an outsider, but. Sweden was okay. It was when I moved to the UK and I lived again in a very white British area and was again the only ethnic minority at my school. It got very tough because I found myself in a culture which was very reserved. You know, the British are very reserved and, you know, you can't rock the boat, you you know, you can't get out of line and everybody has to fit in. They're very polite, you know, which is very good. It has pros and cons. And, you know, I was very outspoken. You know, a Persian culture is fiery. We're passionate people. We love with passion. We hate with passion. You know, we're just dramatic, crazy, passionate, outspoken people. And Swedish culture is also quite, um, you know, they say it if they, if they think something, they say it, you know. But British culture is very, so I got myself in trouble a lot when I came here and, and again experienced racism, you know, um, unfortunately. And, and, you know, spent a lot of my time kind of feeling very out of sync. Um, and I used to kind of think okay well let me not ruin my energy here you know let me think of other things and positive things I could put my energy into which is why at the age of 13 when I moved here I became co-founder of UK Youth Parliament you know along with other group of really incredible people so I volunteered my time. So outside of school, at weekends, I would go and sit in the House of Parliament and, you know, and discuss frameworks and strategies and, and so forth and how we can change policies and laws for young people. And that became, uh, eventually after that, uh, became, 
you know, my career. So, you know, it's all always about, you know, if you find yourself in difficult situations and, you know, you feel uncomfortable and you're not in your element, find things that bring you to your elements, you know, go and seek things that give you positive energy. And I find that positive energy comes from giving. The more you give, the the better you feel, you know, it's good for you and it's good for other people. It's just the, the perfect thing that fixes difficult situations is to give, give back. That's awesome, Melody. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing, especially because some of the details are personal and also it's just a tricky subject to, to talk openly about. Um, but the more I, I really believe that people need to have conversations with those who are not like themselves. And that's how you understand, uh, to be honest, I've never, I've Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of your religion, but I would, I'm going to, as soon as we get off the call, I'm definitely going to uh, sit down yeah. and read more about it because I'm just, in, you know, I'm just intrigued and it's yeah. interesting to hear different cultural norms so that you can understand different people better and understand world events and understand how the world works because there's close to 7 billion of us now on the planet and, um, we we don't know enough about each other. We're not. We're really not open enough uh, to be able to an, uh, to ask these uncomfortable questions. You know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I've blogged about Zoroastrianism and about you know I was forced to kind of write this blog explaining my religion to people because I was getting such a hard time from people you know saying things like you don't deserve your surname as if I chose my surname and all of this you know so it's um you know I think you're right it is about educating ourselves keeping an open mind not judging people you know allowing people room to be you know to be good because the, the more we do that the better people feel and the better people feel the better world we live in, you know, and it's that, you know, understanding the connection between these things, you know, it makes a difference. No, I, I completely agree. And one of the things that, that you said that I find uh, fascinating and also you mentioned in your TED talk, uh, something similar about how likable women are not usually successful or how uh, mm. on the flip side how fiery women who are I think you used the word aggressive in your in your TED talk which will link up all of uh, all of these resources any blog posts that you'd like me to point people to or your TED talk of course on the show notes at under30co.com but I'd love for you to, to elaborate a little bit more on this theory of why likable women aren't successful and that likable men are usually successful. So I'm curious about that. I'd never considered that before. No, it's the other way around that successful women aren't likable and successful men are. That's the trend. You yes, know, that, sorry, I, I hope that I said that way. That's, that is what I meant. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's been studies done that show that if you are a female and you're successful, I mean, there was that study done, um, I think it was Harvard University, where they tested this on students. And, you know, they were giving two scenarios where this woman had um, stolen some contacts from her position at work and then gone and set up her own agency. And they simply changed the name Heidi to a male name and then asked them what they think 
of the individual and they and they were so much harsher on the woman you know they were really harsh on the woman very critical and you know took it very harshly the fact that she'd done that but to the guy they were like yeah you know well, that's fine you know well done he's driven you know and it's that kind of trend you know we are seeing or have seen in the past and not only that I mean I I talk very hard business sometimes because I have to you know so I show up to places and I have to be very serious and people have said to me on occasion you know melody like lighten up and I have done over the past couple of years but before when I was setting out you know I had to kind of do that because I found that because I was very young and I was very feminine um people kind of weren't taking me seriously at first when they first saw me I remember being at the United Nations conference literally at United Nations and the head of state for a European country actually came up to me I'm speaking to him about the work that we're doing and he gives me his card and oh great you know really lovely to meet you and all of this and he winks at me and tells me to call him Oh and I was God. just like thinking, you know, this is crazy. Like, is this okay? Like, is this, is this, you know, acceptable? Is it because I am young and feminine? You know, it, had I been very alpha female, would this have perhaps not happened? Or, you know, and it, and it makes you think. But I'm very clear about what I am. I'm very clear about what I'm not. And I will be who I am. And business will have to change to fit, you know. And I think that women shouldn't feel like they need to be alpha female. But I think, you know, Matt, that's changing. I think, I think that, you know, women who are very successful, successful now and who are feminine and who are very kind of like that you know they're paving the way you know I spoke at, um, I, did a, I did a speech at the um, United Nations Chamber in Paris, the UNESCO Chamber. And, uh, you know, I thought very much about what to wear. I was wearing a black pencil skirt and I was wearing this kind of like black top and everything. And, but I had long hair and I had this red lipstick on and heels and whatever, as you, as you do, you know, as you, as you would. And afterwards, this guy comes back, he comes up to me and he said, you know, that was really great. You know, you, you're so inspiring. And, you know, it was very professional. And it was that word professional. It, it caught my attention. And I said to him, like, what do you mean professional? Like, did you expect it not to be professional? It's a funny word. And he looked at me and he, he was kind of like in a, like, should he admit this or not? And in the end, he said to me, you know, look, I saw you walk up on stage, you know, with your long hair and your makeup and you're young. And I thought to myself, this girl can't be serious about social enterprise and about changing the world. You know, she's just here to look pretty. And I stayed quiet. And then he thought about it for a minute and he said, I understand that that misconception is much more my problem than yours. And I thought, that's right. That's absolutely right. And I said, you know, thank you. You know, that it's great that you have admitted that. And hopefully you'll go forward and be much more conscious of this. So it's these kind of experiences that I think women like myself are kind of um, perhaps coming to terms with. But my message to women is, you know, be who you are and focus on what you bring to the table. Focus on, you know, what you're about and what you can do much more than what other people are thinking or what it means. And be conscious about fighting that fight because I think that you know we are paving the way and I am socially responsible and and so should other women be no I, I like that and that was my actually my next question is what can for anybody who's listening what can if you're a woman what can women do to be able to uh, have themselves I guess I guess seen as professional or at least come it's not about seeing uh, having themselves seen as professional, but how can they combat those, this belief system that's kind of out there and what can men do to be able to be, say, okay, I need to see 
women for what they're what they are and not just start getting excited because somebody's walking on stage with a pencil skirt and that's just a man's lizard brain uh, going in one direction and then saying okay what value can this this woman provide so what are things that people can do to be able to try to uh, create more equality in this situation at Inspiring Asia International, actually, one of our core programs is Startup and Stilettos, The Future is Female. So in that program, we work extensively with businesses as well as educational institutions to, to support people um, to, uh, you know, help women to prosper. And we actually work with women directly, developing their sense of confidence, their sense of purpose, and also their action plans for how they're going to achieve their goals. So this is definitely something that I think, you know, in terms of your question, your first part of your question is how can we support women too? And that, you know, that is something that is all about confidence, I think, and mindset and being able to persevere in male-dominated industries and to be able to really focus on what you bring, as I said. But I think that, you know, your second part of question, you know, what can guys do and how can we, I think that sometimes being too conscious of a divide and being too conscious of women being different can actually be um, unproductive and, and uh, you know, cause more issues than it can if we just looked at people for their merits, regardless of their sex. And I think that that's a much more productive way of looking at it. I mean, I don't believe in positive discrimination, for example. I think that, you know, it is the best people for the job. I think that it is about you know, because otherwise we're, we're kind of taking ourselves back, you know, by by showing women as a difference. But I do think that there are things we need to rectify. I do think there is still a wage gap between women and men that needs to be rectified, which is absolutely ridiculous and outdated. And I do think that in the developing world, there's a lot of issues and a huge gap on how women are treated. Um, for example, underage forced marriages, for example, you know, it's very, very complex. And these are things that we need to be very mindful of and constantly on it on an international level um you know really work on to see how we can support women to prosper i I really i wholeheartedly agree and i think it really does come down to looking at people because of their merits and yes it's people see you know people see in black and white and what's in between and people see in male and female and what's in between and but if you know and it's it's very hard to completely erase and um, on the other hand like you said paying too much attention to that then can be counterproductive but just taking the information that this person or the value that this person can provide or because of their merits uh, I yeah, I think that's a, a really good strategy. Um, and actually, um, in October, I'm due to be speaking at the Women's Forum, which is the largest and most significant gathering on um, discussing issues relating to women in business and politics. So that's attended by all the kind of the senior people from all the businesses in the world, corporates in the world, as well as, um, you know, the prime ministers of the world and so forth. So that's, that will be so interesting. It will be my first time attending so I'll be there speaking at the main kind of um, the main stage. And, um, you know, I really look forward to taking part in some of the debates and policies, um, you know, that we can shift in order to actually pave the way so we can walk the talk. Because, you know, feeling passionate about it is one thing. But what can we do about it? And so, you know, as I said, you know, at Inspiring Age, it's, it's one of our main focuses, really, on how we can support more girls and more women to prosper. OK, this is this is perfect because. 
you, I, I'd like to point out the uh, dichotomy here where you're being able to, you know, reach top level executives and people in government and decision makers, policy makers, et cetera. But what you do with Inspire Engage International is also very important because it comes from the grassroots level. And I think in solving any of these, uh, any of these problems, you're gonna, it's gonna have to come from both ways. And, and oftentimes it's the grassroots putting the pressure on, on the higher ups. Um, but could you talk about your, your work in the Middle East and what, that, uh, what you do with, with women and how you give them the skills to be able to start social enterprises and make the world a better place and what people who are just listening and say, saying, okay, it doesn't matter what cause that I feel passionate about or what the problem, you know, what's this problem in the world that I think that I have a viable solution to. Could you talk about how we have all these technologies right now, we have all of this knowledge that's at our fingertips because of the internet and now we can create a more uh, flat world or we can we all have the ability to make grassroots change. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that, you know, it all begins with a mindset of personal and social responsibility. Do you personally feel part of the world? Do you feel responsible? Do you feel like you can have impact? Um, if you do, and you definitely should because you do have impact and the world is a big place, but it's made up of knock-on effects. So, you know, you impact on your neighbor, your neighbor impacts on, you know, when they go to work, they feel good. So they say something nice to someone and then that makes that person feel good. They might, you know, it, it all has knock-on effects, you know, it's a huge, and that's how you create change in the world. You know, the greatest changes in the world have begun like that. So we go from the angle of personal social responsibility. So I set up Inspiring Age International in 2009, although my career within the sector began 17 years ago when I was seven, when I was 13 years old. So the, our mission is simple, is to train people to be able to develop the mindset and skills to be able to be successful by giving back. We want you to be successful. We want you to make money because that's how you live. We want you to be happy. I think happiness is underrated in careers. It's okay to say that you want to be successful and do something that makes you happy, that feeds your soul. But we want you to be able to do that with a model that gives back to your community, with a model of social conscience. So that's what Inspiring Age International does. And I mean, you know, we, we run a range of different programs. There's a range of different ways we do that. But we are skills experts. You know, we are we train people to develop that mindset and those skills. And, you know, we do, we do a lot of different things. I mean, you've touched on the program of, of you, you know, women and how we work in the Middle East. So we've got a portfolio in over 100 different countries, of which the Middle East um, is a, a you know, a big part of that, um, simply because, you know, we were doing a lot of work on climate change and skills development and, you know, um, kind of preparing young people to be able to go into the job market. And, and the Middle East has a strong need for that. So, you know, we've been working in that region for the past, uh, I think it's uh, five years now. And, um, you know, across those countries, um, we helped launch the first, we were partners in launching the first um, women-only vocational training institution in Saudi 
Arabia, actually, which is very exciting, and we've been seeing some great results there. But importantly, what we did, we devised programs that supported young people, young adults, to be able to come up with projects that actually made a difference. So, you know, in very oil-rich countries, we actually helped those young adults to be able to come up with climate change projects. And it was so funny because, you know, Matt, like the first day when I got there, and I came up and I, you know, introduced myself and said, you know, they actually later admitted to me that they thought that I was there to introduce the trainer because they didn't believe that someone young and female could be the trainer, which is so interesting to me. You know, it's crazy. These some of the things that I've had to kind of, you know, kind of kind of contend with, you know, people's perceptions all around the world and the difference in culture and so forth, which is very fascinating. But as I was going around, the first thing I do is say to people to say their name and something interesting about themselves just to kind of get a feel for where the group is at and so forth and confidence levels and all of that and as I was going around this young girl she was called Alia from Kuwait and she just kind of like shook her head and she kind of was saying to me don't uh, don't come to me like I don't want to say my like I don't want to speak and she was too shy to introduce herself that same girl at the end of our program actually went on to become the team leader she's now launched a career very similar to this sector and she appeared on TV several times, national TV, introducing the project and ran several incredible projects that helped communities in Kuwait. So it's, you know, you know, this is incredible, the stories we're seeing. We, got, we had one guy who came on our program. He, you know, he's a dentist, he's in medicine, but he ended up launching a project that helped um, sponsor people who were from really struggling communities in his country to be able to attain a bursary, to attend university and get an education that they no way would have otherwise have been able to do. So we're seeing some great outcomes from some of the programs that we've been working on. And actually, I'm returning to the Middle East to deliver um, a program in Bahrain to support young people who want to develop a business in the IT industry. So we'll be doing an intense one-week boot camp, and that's what we call it, a skills boot camp, for them to um, develop their skills and to be able to launch their businesses. That's, that's really cool, Melody. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, I want to get actionable with some of the things that people can do. And uh, in your TEDx talk, you had, you had spoken about autopilot living a little bit. Um, but at, before we do that, I want to I be very vulnerable with you for a second and just ask you a question that uh, is more difficult for me to, yeah, to, to phrase, I, I guess. So you had said that you got up on stage and someone saw a pretty young female and you know you had mentioned earlier that maybe people didn't think that you were professional um, or maybe people thought you were there just to introduce to be like uh, what's the what's the woman's name on Wheel of Fortune who just walks yeah. past it there in their in her pretty dress right so because we've been so conditioned um, through our through our lives to see, you know, oh, this pretty girl, you know, or you, you look at the, the Oscars or, or some of these awards and it's, oh, this person's, this, this woman is quite beautiful and she's dressed in a certain way. She must be here to present or just to draw everybody's attention in and, and looks quite stunning. And um, I've, I've noticed several times in, in professional events that very pretty women will often, uh, they'll still be very done up in a way that 
I think is to attract attention, or at least that's how I'm perceiving it, or at least they've got my attention, Melody. And you know, yeah. I've, I've uh, actually asked people to present in conferences that we're part of, and, and fabulous young women of, of merit. Um, and I've had to say things in, in my head. I, I've never uh, have talked to the women about this, but I thought, you know, that dress was really detracting from what you had to say because it was really too short, in, in my opinion. Or I think that a lot of the men in the audience were looking at your dress and not at the value that you were providing. Or I'll give another, this is a silly example and, um, you know, I, I hope this doesn't say anything uh, uh, negatively about me, but my sister's high school basketball coach, she is very short and she's very pretty, but she wears probably six inch heels. I'll give her at least four inch heels. And she has to kind of waddle out there to shake the hand of the referee. And I just, I can't help but say I can't take her seriously because she's a good basketball coach from what I understand. But when she's representing the school and she's walking out there in these six inch heels with her very tight pants, I, I, almost, I almost think like, uh, where are we going here? Are we here to play basketball or are we here to, I, I, I don't know where you would be going in those heels. They don't look practical, but right. can you help me through this for a second? It's not possible that women are too pretty to be successful sometimes or they're calling the wrong type of attention to themselves. Can you, can you help me with this for a second? Yeah, really interesting. You, you're, you're, I have to give you credit for, for tackling this, really, and, and vocalizing it, because sometimes you don't know how to phrase something like that. But it's an interesting point. And I think a lot of women who are listening will be interested in yeah, like your perception, actually, much more than what my answer, actually, because sometimes we do wonder, what do men think? How do people perceive us? But I think, look, when I said be feminine in business, I didn't mean, like, dress inappropriately with like a low-cut dress and short you know inappropriate I mean what does inappropriate mean you know you've got to deem that for yourself depending on where it is you're going and what you do for a living and what have you but um, I think there's a difference when I said you can be feminine in business I definitely didn't I by any means my uh, pencil skirt I was talking about earlier it, it was kind of knee length like just to be clear you know Melody maybe I had a different perception that you said pencil skirt in my mind with the wrong way probably yeah. No, that's definitely. You know, I'm just kidding. But this is how these thoughts pop up. No, pencil skirt is not short. Pencil skirt. No, no, I didn't think short. I thought tight. Yeah, yeah, it was fitting, but it then came out at the bottom. But either way, listen. Regardless, I mean, the point is this. Focus on very strongly on what you can bring. Focus very much on how you're coming across. And to be honest, clothes are a part of that. Like if I press mute on you. What would it say about you? If, it, if I just saw what met the eye, what would it say? And I think that, you know, we, we do have to present ourselves um, in, a, in a kind of an appropriate manner for the situation we're given. However, I also do think, Matt, that media has a lot to do with this. Our kind of social kind of definitions of what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable has a lot to do with this. There's so much pressure. And I tell you what, Instagram Instagram is the best thing ever. I am an Instagram addict. I love Instagram and I'm always using it. I'm always looking and whatever. But because it's so visual, because it's about sharing images, it's very influential in creating how things should be. And at the moment, I think that, you know, there's a lot of like 
this kind of like perception of success. I'm digressing a little bit, but I think it's it's a connector point that it's about, you know, we're creating this image. So women feel pressured to be something. They feel pressured to present themselves in some way. You know, it is all about creating images that are interesting because, you know, you, you like if you post something boring, visually boring on Instagram, it's not going to get you followers. It was all about creating this visual attraction, this like visual kind of, uh, you know, um, draw, you know. So I think that that's part of it of women feeling a bit of pressure to to look interesting and to put something forward into and I think men also actually but I think that you know when it comes to success you know so so let's let's move on to a little bit about the other side of you know what what, what we're creating you know image and media like I mentioned this to you you know in my email which is like what are we trying to show people like that what success is like Ferrari success I actually have seen numerous occasions people's Instagram posts of success successful people who are trying to inspire people to achieve and they post pictures of their car and then say, you know, you can have this too if you work hard, da, 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 da. You know, does success equal acquiring stuff? Does success equal you posting an image of your, like, in, you know, ring on uh, resting against your, uh, you know, car wheel of, like, Ferrari or, like, whatever car? Like, is that what success, is that the kind of image, you know, pressure we want to put on people? And I find that to be so unproductive. And actually, we're creating more damage than good. You know, we're not inspiring people to go out there and do good and to be able to achieve and be successful. We're inspiring people to just get stuff, you know, and if they can't achieve that level of wealth like how how else will they get stuff you know and what, what does that say so I think that you know it, it is kind of like I'm very conscious always about what we put across you know the messages we give um you know that that success is about creating impact not about impressing people and you know and going back to your point you know to women about women is that you know by all means, you know, you've you got to think about how you come across, you know, guys as well. But by all means, you know, you've got to be professional. You know, we've we got to do other women justice, really. You know, it is about what you have to say for yourself. But I think, you know, at the same time, I was blogging. I was, I do video blogs, right, vlogs, right, on my YouTube channel. I was talking about this. Like, if, if something makes you feel confident, like, say, uh, you know, a certain handbag makes you feel good about yourself. So when you carry it, you know, you feel confident, whatever. In a simple t-shirt with a ponytail in your hair and very simple stuff, can you still feel good enough? Can you still feel like you are enough? Do you still have something to say for yourself? What are you contributing to the world? These are the measures that we should be measuring people against. Absolutely. And this goes beyond... Uh, this this goes beyond whether you are male or female or whatever race, religion, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's about... Again, what value are you providing? Is your, have you done your homework? Is your content going to be valuable? Is the product that you're devoting your life to worth it? And then it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Sure, yes, if someone puts you on mute, absolutely, you should be able to be presented and do know that that says something about you. But at the end of the day, I, I love it. And I'm just scrolling through your Instagram right now. And I, I love the causes that you support. And, um, but you are putting out a certain message out there. And, you know, here, here you are somewhere with the international climate change uh, yeah. sign. And here you are speaking next to the European Union flag and pictures of your beautiful little baby. And, you know, this is, you, you're putting out there as a role model 
what you believe that definition of success is and how that people should be uh, collaborating instead of competing against each other. And it's not about whose dress looks better and whose car is cooler or more cherry red than the next girls and, and all of this because you understand that there's enough to go around for everyone and we all need to come together to try to be able to achieve the things that you're talking about. Otherwise, it's just, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not a win-win situation. It's a, it's a zero-sum game where we're uh, just competing against each other and trying to get ahead and not projecting kindness, which, which is another thing. You, you talked about uh, killing people with kindness, or you didn't use killing people. You used something more tactful uh, <laughs> that I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, disarming. disarming people yeah. with kindness. That's what it was. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I I believe in that so much. So so thank you for for being so thoughtful about what you put out there. No, I appreciate that. You know, absolutely. And I think that it's it's just kind of we're all part of this. And I think that the more we question people and and support people, and that's really our mission at Inspiring Age International is is how can we support people to do that more? Because I think you know when you when you see organisations that sometimes are about getting people into work and supporting them to go into business, because obviously that's what we do to develop skills. It can be very outcome led. It's it's almost like a robotic. Um, process of okay, we do this boot camp, we do this skills training, and then they develop their business, and these are our numbers, and then this is how many satisfied people, and done. It's like a sausage factory type process. But really, you know, long-term change and, you know, sustainable uh, kind of changes and outcomes come from getting people to really look at the way they think, you know, what's my attitude, you know, what's my impact? These are the things that create change. So, you know, at Inspiring Age International, like our first um, module at our boot camp is identity and personal branding. We get you to look at yourself first. You know, we, we get you to question your story. We get you to look at your passion, your strengths, you know, what is your long-term goal? You know, what did you want to be when you were young? When you were little, what did you want to be? When you weren't, your, your mind wasn't clouded by all the reasons you can't and all the practicalities and the logistics and qualifications and all these things what did you want to be what does your heart desire and why you know so sometimes it isn't about like I wanted to be a you know, cowboy. So, you know, I can't be a cowboy, but it's the why you were drawn to something, you know, was it something you really enjoyed? Like, what was it that got you going, you know, but when you were really little and you really didn't have all these barriers and these are the things, you know, going back to basics in our minds and thinking about that and developing a very strong sense of purpose and self, and then thinking about your goal and then thinking about what you want to do. And I think that in a very fast paced world of go, 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 and a very competitive world, we sometimes run the danger of not considering uh, your kind of identity and personal brand, which is the beginning of everything, you know? Um, you know, like it's like the Einstein quote, everybody's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life believing that it's stupid. Like a fish can't climb a tree. We can't devise one form and one path to success for people because some people will fail and that's wrong. But you have to, it's your responsibility to find your path. And that's what the Inspiring Engage Bootcamps helps people to do. Okay, awesome. Melody, so let's, as we wrap things up here in the next five minutes or so, I'd love just to ask you, 
once one has gone through these, uh, you know, they, at once someone has looked inward and asked themselves what they wanted to be when they grew up and, and when they grow up and looked at the world and what they can provide value to and where they can make impact and they have an idea and it's something that they feel strongly about then what are some of the actionable things that you teach people that some of our listeners can can literally pause this podcast podcast and go out and do to be able to tackle a really big issue Absolutely. I think that's a great question. I think that, you know, um, first of all, we we do this thing called My Passport, right? This is a really simple thing. You guys can do it at home. You take a blank piece of paper and fill out four pieces of information. So fill out your passion, your strength, your defining moment, and your goal. You can also include your motto on there. You know, it's what you live by. Once you've done that, keep adding to it. Go back to it the year after you've done it and think about it. And with the goal part of it, you know, it was a study done that found that something is almost 80% more likely to happen if you just write it down. That's not magic. That's just your mind committing to something because choosing what you want is often the hardest thing. Once you have chosen what it is that you want to do, I suggest you get a one-pager together. Before you get a one-pager together, get a flip chart paper because I find A4 paper is too small when you're like trying to get an idea together. But get a flip chart paper, sit at a big table, you know, drink some water or put on music, whatever gets your mind going and flowing and draw out some thoughts. You know, don't, don't be bound by details at that point. Get it all there and, you know, think about it. After you've done that, get that one pager together. What's your concept? What's your mission? Why do you want to do it? And keep it simple. Sometimes when people go into business plan mode, they can overcomplicate something or they can feel overwhelmed by achieving it so they don't start it at all. Don't think like that. Starting something is the hardest thing. So just like get it together in terms of a concept, even if it's just one page and send it to some people, send it to some people that are in your sector and who know something about what it is you want to do and get them to just have a quick look at it. And because it's one page, you could even put it into the body of the email and they could have a quick glance and give you some feedback. And it might hook them in to want to help you. It might hook them in, you know, actually, you know, I'm doing something similar. You know, let me, you know, you should talk to this person or whatever. So get that out there. Have conversations with people. Have a think about it. If you're a social entrepreneur at Inspire Engage, we always say to people, Yes, social enterprise is a business, okay? It's about making money. It's about, you know, keeping all things afloat and, and, you know, and making a living out of things. But never forget your social mission. That's why social comes before the word enterprise. Keep your social mission at the heart of it and you won't go wrong. And you've got to build a business around that. That's great, Melody. And if someone wanted to, to then come to Inspire Engage International and have your team help them with their business idea where can they go where, where can they learn more about you guys yeah i know that's cool you can come on inspiringgage.com and remember inspiringgage is spelled it's like an um a, a amalgamated word right so it's like inspire and engage is together so it's i-n-s-p-i-r-e and then n-g-a-g-e.com or go on melodyhitsaini.com i share a lot of my tips and tools and things like that on my blogs as well but we work a lot with educational institutions so if there's a university college or something with a big body of young people and students 
students who want to contact us interested in running some of our boot camps and programs such as Social Enterprise Revolution. That's one of our programs where we help embed that into the curriculum, get in touch with us. And also a lot of businesses, businesses who want to do better, be better, you know, who want to train their staff and their team to be more productive, be more self-aware and also, you know, be, be socially conscious. That's also another avenue that we work with. But for individuals, you, we soon we've got some of our courses coming online that you can do. Um, so stay tuned, you know, connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, stay connected. And we'd love to hear from people who venture into the world of social enterprise, particularly. Melody, that sounds awesome. And, and of course, again, on under30ceo.com, we'll link up all of your social media stuff and where people can learn more and just resources and links that are, uh, that are you know, will be really helpful for people. If you had one piece of advice out of absolutely anything, and uh, it can't, you know, it could be something that we spoke about today, but it, it doesn't have to be just just life advice in in general for people who don't want to live that autopilot living, as you said, or live yeah. different as uh, differently as it should be dramatically grammatically correct. But what would that piece of advice be for everyone? The best thing I can say to you is figure out who you are and what you have to do with it. That's your most valuable asset that no one can take away from you. Figure out who you are and what you have to do with it and be successful by giving back. I like it, Melody. Well, I think people are going to have a lot of introspection on their hands after this one. And I really, really appreciate you answering uh, some of these difficult questions and being open to trying to... for asking these really great questions. I'm really impressed. It's yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, with the podcast, we're just trying to be... To, I try to think of thoughtful things that people don't get the opportunity to, to sit with someone like yourself and ask. And I think that your message is, is so important. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you being a great mo role model for everyone out there. Thank you so much for having me. And anybody listening, I look forward to connecting with you guys and good luck in what you do. Lots of love. Thanks, Melody. We appreciate it. Hey, did you enjoy today's episode? If you did, I have a quick favor for you to ask. We are trying to spread the live different mentality, the mission right now, so other people can take advantage of all the stuff that you just got to hear about. If you could go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating, this will help us get on the iTunes new and noteworthy list. And that way, a bunch more people can hear about what we do over here at the Live Different Podcast. So I really appreciate it. If you want to share it, please do. Give it to a friend in need. That is what we want to do. And uh, keep doing good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks.